0: Christmas every year is the largest celebration around the world. Other holidays get just that. They get a day. Christmas gets a month or more. As a matter of fact, the longer we go, it seems like the earlier we start Christmas celebrations every year, but we decorate our homes, we send out greeting cards, we buy presents. A lot of folks build their careers around Christmas, and People spend hours preparing for Christmas, and when Christmas comes, you can't miss it. And as amazing as it might seem, the birth of a Middle Eastern peasant boy nearly 2,000 years ago stops traffic today. Everywhere from New York City to Rome, Italy on Christmas, the traffic has stopped. When people stop and they look at the lights and all the glamour and glitz that Christmas is in our world today, But do you realize that every time you look at a calendar, you use the birth of Jesus Christ as your starting point? And even your birthday is dated by his birthday. And when we look at the birth of Christ, when Jesus was born, the world would never be the same. If you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if someone asks to read the Christmas story, or what is the Christmas story generally, Luke chapter 2 is the text that uh, we use. And, and outside of church, I guess the first time I, that I remember this text being read is when Linus reads it in Charlie Brown of Christmas. Uh, some of y'all might be too, remem- uh, too young to remember that, but I remember it well. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 1, And it came to pass in those days, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now we're going to look at this text a little bit deeper, a little bit later on in our Christmas season, but today I really want us to focus on this idea that's brought forth in verse 10 that says, do not be afraid for behold, I will bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all the people. Christmas is a time of celebration. Christmas is a time to celebrate. The angel said Christmas would be bring Christmas is a source of stress. After all, there's presents to buy, houses to decorate, parties to attend, meals to cook, deadlines to meet. Christmas has become a duty, not a delight. For many people, Christmas is a time of sadness and depression. Many people think of loved ones that they've lost, or people that are no longer with them at Christmas, or they think about crazy relatives they have to spend holidays with. Uh, Marie and I watched a movie the other night, Four Christmases, about a couple that both sets of parents were divorced and so they went to four different Christmases in the same day and it wasn't pleasant. Uh, It was just a disaster for them and, and that's the way a lot of people feel about the holidays. A lot of people, Christmas is just a time of exhaustion. There's just so much to do with too little time to do it and maybe that's you. Maybe you feel stressed out or sad or exhausted. Can, can I tell you that we need to realize that Christmas is a time of celebration? There's a reason why we say Merry Christmas. Well, why celebrate? Because it's the birthday of the Savior of the world. That's what we're celebrating. Perhaps no other birthday party in the world, except for Christmas, celebrates everything and everybody except the person who was born. You ever thought about it? We mentioned Rudolph, the Grinch, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus, he gets a lot of props this time of year. But the one for whom the real birthday party is thrown outside of church, he rarely gets any attention. A survey was done And people were asked what they were celebrating at this time of year. And here's what they said. One person said, I'm celebrating the fact I made it through the year. You ever been there? Someone else says, I'm celebrating being home with my family. Someone says, I'm celebrating a Christmas bonus. I'm celebrating the fact that my son is home from Afghanistan. I'm celebrating the fact I finished all my shopping. And then a few people said, I'm not celebrating anything, I'm just surviving. And that's where some people are at Christmas. And while many of these things are great things to celebrate, they don't convey the real reason for Christmas celebration. The angel said, I bring you news of great joy. This was a personal message. The angel says, I've got good news for you. And this morning I have good news. For you as well. It's a very personal message. Also he says that it's for all the people. It's universal. Everybody has an opportunity. To get in on this. Joy and celebration. That is Christmas. Well why celebrate? I'm going to give you three quick reasons this morning. Why we celebrate Christmas. And why Christmas is a time of celebration. They're simple. Number one. God loves you. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now if that doesn't rock your world, nothing does. God loves you. This summarizes and sums up why God sent Jesus. The entire reason for the season The entire reason for Christmas is the love of God. God loves you so much, and he loves me so much, that he became a human so that you and I could get to know him and trust him as Lord and Savior. Theologians call Jesus coming to earth in a human form. The big preacher word for that is the Incarnation. The big preacher word for the fact Jesus came is called Advent. Sometimes you hear people saying the Advent season. That's the coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming again at the end of the world. Sometimes that's referred to as the second Advent. So when you read things about this time of year, it's good to know what we're talking about. But John 1 in verse 14 tells us the word, that's Jesus, Logos, became flesh and he dwelt among us. Have you ever thought that God has given humans a capacity to understand him more so than animals and other creations that he made? The fact that we are made in God's image means that he has given us the capacity to have a relationship with him. Because God loves us, he came to earth and the world has never been the same. You know why God came to earth? One of those reasons is he wants to communicate or he wanted to communicate with us face to face. Had he wanted to communicate with the birds, God would have become a bird. If he had wanted to communicate with the dogs and cats, he would have become a dog and cat. But Jesus Christ left heaven and became human. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. This time, God didn't send a prophet. This time, God didn't send an angel. This time, God didn't send a preacher. God sent himself. And he did it because he loves us. Scripture tells us that God is love. You were created as an object of God's love. Why? To give him glory and worship him. You were created in God's image. God loves you. And did you know that God's love for you as a Christian is unconditional? Did you know God loves you on your good days? He loves you on your bad days. He loves you on your vacation days. He loves you on your work days. He loves you on your stressful days. He loves you when things are not so stressful. He loves you when you worship him a lot. He worships when you don't worship him a lot. He loves you regardless of your performance. Isn't that cool? Aren't you glad God didn't say, in order for me to love you, you have to keep 610 of the 617 commandments? God didn't say that the reason I know God loves me and the reason I know God loves you is because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. Y'all, that's good news. Did you know that you can never be so bad that God won't love you anymore? Parents, grandparents, is there anything your child or your grandchild could do that would make you stop loving them? It doesn't mean that you're always pleased with them. It doesn't mean that you approve of everything they do. But can I tell you this morning that God loves you, and that's something to celebrate, y'all. You're loved. You're cared for. There's a lot of churches preaching bad news this morning. They say, well, if you do this, God will love you, and if you do that, God will love you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now understand, I understand about atonement and perpetuation and justice, and I'm not saying that God saved us to live however we want to. There are things we do that does not please God, but that does not change the fact that God loves you. And that's something to celebrate. Secondly, not only does God love you, God is with you. We mentioned earlier that Christmas isn't such a happy time for a lot of folks. For whatever reason, it may be memories, lack of sleep, stress, medicines, hormones, food, tension, fear. We can give a lot of reasons why people don't enjoy Christmas. But can I remind you that Jesus came from heaven to earth in order to be with us? John 1.14 again, the word became flesh. That's incredible enough he became flesh to dwell among us, to live with us. That's the word tabernacle. The word tabernacle you see in the Old Testament is the same word that John uses. It was the dwelling place of God. Jesus came not only because he loves us. He came because he wanted to be with us. He wanted to live live with us. One of the names for Jesus, and it's an interesting study, to study the different names of Jesus, but one of those names is Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, and that means God with us. This morning, did you realize that God is with us? As Christians, God is in each and every one of our hearts. When we're here this morning, God is with us. When we leave, we get in our cars, God is with us. When we go home, God is with us. When we get up and go to work tomorrow, God is with us. When we go to Food Saver, God is with us. You know why? Because as Christians, he lives in each and every one of us. When Jesus came from heaven to earth at his advent, at his incarnation... He came to live on earth. When Jesus died and was raised and went back to heaven, he comes back to live in us through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that pretty cool? God is with us. Learning to connect to God or tune into God on a day-by-day basis takes time. It takes effort, it's an it's, it's an acquired skill. Uh, when I was learning to play the saxophone, our band director had this insane notion we should learn to play scales. And if you've ever practiced the piano or played in band or even sang, playing scales is not exciting. It's do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, ti, la, so, fa, mi, re, do, over and over and over again at the time is if I learned to play a C scale or in the key of C, if I could play in that scale and that key and I know that there are no sharps and flats in the key of C, then if I see a piece of music in the key of C, I've got a head start of being able to play it because I'm used to playing in the key of C. Or if you're playing in the key of A, you know that F sharp and G sharp and C sharp are in that key signature. So you learn to play that scale. You start simple when you teach math. Two plus two is four. We don't teach first graders trigonometry yet. The way they're doing it, that may come. But we start with the basics, right? You ever look at somebody, and I asked my grandfather when he was dying, and I've shared this with you before. I said, Pa, how did you learn to live 79 years for the Lord? He said, Son, I learned to do it one day at a time. And sometimes it's one hour at a time. And sometimes it's just one minute at a time. But we need to realize that not only does God love us, God is with us. The angels told the shepherds, don't be afraid. I read this phrase this week. It says, you lose your fear when God is near. That's a pretty good little phrase, isn't it? That we lose our fear when God is near. Y'all remember the cartoon Underdog and I'm Aging Myself Again. Maybe the. But Underdog was a little dog. He was a shoe shine boy by day. It's a takeoff of Superman. He was a shoe shine boy by day. And then he would go into a telephone booth and he would turn into underdog. <coughs> Well, do you remember underdog's favorite saying? He would always say when he came out of the phone booth and he was in his superpowers, he would say, there's no need to fear, underdog is here. Y'all remember that? Y'all are laughing, so you do. I worked with that invitation all week, by the way. But can I tell you that as Christians, we have somebody more than underdog standing next to us? We have someone stronger than underdog. We have the Lord with us. Listen to these promises of God. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, he says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah 43, verse 2 tells us, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. And then in the well-known 23rd Psalm, in verse 4 of that psalm, David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let me tell you this morning, you may have been abandoned by someone you love. A spouse, a parent, your children, your friends. Maybe you felt the sting of rejection. And that rejection's for a lot of different reasons. Some people are rejected because of their race or their ethnicity. Some are rejected for gender or age. Or even their religion. But can I tell you that God will never leave you? Or forsake you? He is with you. When you think of Christmas, let your thoughts go from fear and loneliness to celebration and praise. God came. He loves us. He came. And God is with us. And then finally, not only does God love us and God is with us, God is for us. As a Christian, God is on our side. The phrase for you is used quite often in the Bible. When Jesus first met somebody, he often asked the question, what can I do for you? And just two examples of that are Matthew 20 verse 32 and Mark 10 and verse 36. When Jesus instituted communion, In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, remember Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. In Romans 8, verse 31, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? When you are facing attack, when things aren't going well, when Satan is coming after you, can I remind you that if you're a Christian, God is on your side. God is for you. He, only not, he not only loves you, he's not only with you, he's pulling for you. He's on your side. And I tell you what, when you're facing attack, it's good that God is with us. It's even better that God's for us, amen? And he indeed is for us. A lot of us misunderstand God. As Christians, we think God, and we've been taught somewhere that God is up in heaven with his lightning bolt. And he's just waiting for us to mess up and say, aha, I got you, and throw that lightning bolt down. But when we read scripture, scripture tells us that God wants everybody everywhere to come to him and to know him and to love him. 1 Timothy uh, 2 verse 4 says that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, Peter tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, that he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Where does our fear from God come from? First of all, as Christians, our fear from God comes from the fact that I realize, you realize, we realize that God is holy and we're not, right? Why did Adam and Eve hide from God? Because they knew they had messed up. They knew they had sinned and they were afraid of God. There is a sense in which we should fear God. We should have a respectful fear of God. We've been given this, i preached a whole series on Walking in the fear of the Lord. We've talked about that a lot. That's important. But it's just as important to understand that God loves you. And when you do mess up, he knows it. He knew Adam and Eve had messed up. And God simply wants you to come to him and acknowledge that you messed up. You're not going to surprise him. You're not going to catch him off guard. He knows you mess up. Y'all, I mess up. I don't mean to, but sometimes my mouth gets out ahead of my brain. Y'all ever been there? Uh, Where you just, it's out before you realize what you've said? I shared in our Sunday school class yesterday, uh, this morning, I'll share it with you guys now. Yesterday I was coming back from Kroger, and if you know where that intersection is, where you leave Kroger and Dixon, if you go straight, you go to Big lots. You turn left, you go toward Captain D's. You turn right, you go on toward McEwen. Well, the light changed, and I was going straight, so I had the right of way. Well, this young lady turned left in front of me, and I fussed at her. I said, "Don't you know that you don't have the right of way? Why are you in such a big hurry? Where'd you go to driving school?" Now, first of all, she didn't hear a word I said, so I didn't help a thing. But you know what happened to me right after I said that just as clear as if the Lord had been sitting in the seat next to me, he said, really? Have y'all ever been there? Where you let your mouth get out ahead of your your brain and you mess up? Y'all, sometimes we just don't live right, do we? Now, we should strive. God said, I'm holy, you be holy. That, that's, our, that's our goal is perfection. But y'all, I, I miss it sometimes. And maybe you miss it sometimes. Aren't you glad that God still loves you? Aren't you glad that God's still with you? Aren't you glad that God's still for you? 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9, it says, if we'll confess our sins, and that doesn't just mean, Lord, forgive me of my sin. It means me saying, Lord, I was wrong for having a bad attitude and saying those words about that lady. He wants specifics. God knows where we messed up. He wants to know that we know where we messed up. Amen? It's more than just saying, God, forgive me of my sins. It's being specific about what sins are you talking about? Where do we realize we've sinned? But I want us to understand that even though we're sinners and even though in a sense we should have a healthy fear of God, it is God. And when we sin, we sin against the Holy God. But we need to remember that God's primary essence is love. I'm going to read this morning John, First John chapter 4, verses 15 to 21. And this is a terrific paragraph. If you have your Bibles, flip over there right quick. John 4, verses 15 to 21. And I'm reading it out of the New King James. 1 John 4, 15 to 21. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God And God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Watch this. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We have him, or we love him, because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Did you see back in verse 16? When you get who the essence of God is or what the essence of God is, it says there that God is love. It doesn't say that he shows love. It doesn't say that he gives love, although he does. It says that he is God. Who is God? God is love. God loves us. And because God loves us, we don't have to be afraid to come into his presence. Did you know scripture tells us some 365 times, depending on what translation you use, right around 365 times. There's one for each year. Scripture tells us to fear not. And he gives us 365 reasons to not fear. Quite often it's this fear that causes us like Adam to run from God. When you were little, did your mom ever tell you, you wait until your father gets home? That's kind of the way we are with God sometimes, isn't it? Just wait till God finds out. Guess what? He knows. And he loves you. And interestingly enough, when Adam and Eve sinned and they were hiding from God, God, did you know God went out to find them? They didn't come to God, God came to them. They had messed up, they had sinned, they had broken that perfect fellowship that they had. And God went to find them. When your kids mess up, your grandkids mess up, And they're not home and you know they've been to a crazy party and you know they've probably done things you don't approve of that God doesn't approve of, let me ask you a question. At 3 o'clock in the morning, if they're not home, do you go looking for them? You start trying to find out where they're at. It doesn't matter what they've done. You want them to come home, right? The prodigal son had left home, embarrassed his father, (laughs) embarrassed his family, wasted his money, and when he came home, he had his speech all prepared. You ever get in trouble when you knew your parents knew what you had done and you have your speech all made? Maybe you've done that with your wife or, or your husband. I don't know. But you got the speech made, right? And two words into the speech, the father just threw his arm around him and says, Welcome home, son. You're my son. He, was, he come running down the driveway to meet him. That's the way God is. God loves you. He's for you. He's pulling for you. And when you mess up, he's ready to take you by the hand and hug you and let you know that, child, you're mine. I love you. The first words angels said to the shepherds was, don't be afraid. Jesus did not come to this earth to scare us. He came to save us. And that's a reason to celebrate. I really do believe that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Roger says he loves singing Christmas songs. I do too. But boy, I love preaching Christmas messages. God loves us. God is with us. God is for us. My question is this morning, are you one of his? Because, see, these blessings aren't for those that are outside the family. These are family blessings. You ever heard of things called family heirlooms? You know, there are things that are passed down from grandfather to father to son to grandson. There's some things that stay in the family. And God's blessings and God's promises to never leave us are to those that are in the family. Now, God loves everybody. That's universal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's a problem I have with hyper-Calvinism. I do believe that God must first draw you before you can come to the son. But I also believe at some point in everybody's life, God's going to give them that opportunity. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes, whosoever is me, whosoever is you, whosoever is this whole entire world you have to take advantage of it. You say, well, what do I need to do? Can I tell you to quit running from God? Aren't you tired? Aren't you wore out? Just stop and say, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I've tried to be good, and I can't be good. I can't be good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm certainly not good looking enough. There's no enough that's there, nothing I can do to save me. But you sent Jesus. You love me so much, you sent Jesus to die for me. And it's upon his death on the cross, Jesus did for me what I can't do for myself. Lord, please save me. i am giving you my life. I'm not running from you, I'm tired of running from you. I'm ready to run to you. Lord, save me. And guess what? He'll save you. And maybe you're living your life as a Christian. You've forgotten whose you're on. You ever done that? Maybe you've wandered off and you've went down a road you didn't mean to go down and it, it took you a direction and a place you didn't want to go. There's one thing to do when you get lost. Turn around and find your way back. And the Lord's waiting this morning for you.